Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I don't know where my colleague Bill Neely grew up. He serves our congregation in Princeton, New Jersey now. But in grade school, he used to like to take the bus to the mall on weekends. The buses didn't run very often past his apartment complex in the suburbs. He did an impressive job navigating the local bus schedule to get him there in time to see a movie and play a few video games before heading back home again. If he missed the bus, he might have to wait hours for the next one or make a very, very long walk home. Bill worried about accidentally spending his return fare on snacks and extra games, but he figured out that he could put his bus money in his left pocket and only spend what was in his right pocket. He was extra careful, actually, always putting in a little bit more than the fare, just in case. The only time he reached into his left pocket was when he boarded the bus home. And so you can imagine what it was like for this little kid visiting the arcade to play pole position, his favorite race car game, and munching on popcorn while watching Ghostbusters, the original, to board the bus for home, reach into his left pocket, and find it empty. There was no money in his left pocket and no money in his right pocket either. He says, I stepped out of the way of the people behind me. I checked my back pockets and my jacket pockets, and there was no money anywhere. I had no idea what to do. The line cleared, and the driver was watching me, frantically patting my pockets. But before he closed the door, the last man to board the bus looked at me and said, I got you. He was dressed in jeans and a brown work shirt. He probably worked maintenance at the mall and was headed home. And when he saw the mess I was in with a simple, I got you, he put my fare in the box so I could go home. I said, thank you very much, to which he replied, no problem. And he did it with that smooth, quiet head nod that made him seem even cooler. That was the first and last time I saw him, but he has stayed with me. He and his, I got you. He got that something had gone wrong and I was in a tricky situation. I thought I was independent. He got that I wasn't. I may have been a kid who could manage a bus trip to the mall, but I learned that day that there would be times I would need help getting home. Times when I couldn't do it alone. Times when I would need the kindness of strangers. He got that we're all in this together. I can say without reservation that this pandemic has brought out the very best in us, in this beloved spiritual community. 
The tech team leapt into action to connect us virtually. The indulge team put our auction online and we bid our hearts out. Five people donated computer equipment to get folks up on Zoom. Five teams assembled themselves to deliver groceries. Several of you joined neighborhood mutual aid societies. Your generosity in the virtual collection plate, giving now more than ever, has made it possible to continue to pay our staff. You have shown up for worship and gathered in the Arlington Street Zoom room week after week with kindness, care, and encouragement for each other and for me. We have never been farther apart or closer together. In 10,000 ways, we have assured one another, I got you. Today on Covenant Renewal Sunday, we renew our great covenant of love and service and pledge gifts of financial support for this beloved spiritual community. It's a little different from my childhood church where covenant renewal began at small cocktail parties at people's homes. Having been plied with alcohol, everyone filled out their pledge cards and then walked to the church, thankfully no one had to drive, to attend a fancy celebratory dinner prepared by the Women's Alliance and served by the youth group. More than one group came piling into the vestibule, shouting raucousy and even singing. Perhaps it was their joy at giving. I remember the year I was assigned to table number one to serve Harvey Wheeler and his guests. Mr. Wheeler was beloved, a pillar. The Harvey Wheeler Community Center was named for him. What I remember about that evening is that things were really, really bad at home. I was struggling to deflect any curiosity and make sure nobody, nobody knew except I was pretty sure Mr. Wheeler knew. He was a trustee of the church, he knew everything. And some of the Harvey family mess had been public. There was a little paper tent at the head of the table where Mr. Wheeler was seated. It said, Kim, number one. I had been instructed to serve him first and then the rest of the table and to stand just behind him where he could ask me for anything he or his guests might need. At some point, mid-meal, while he held court among Concord's finest, he took the paper tent and folded it flat at his place setting, took out a Sharpie, and wrote the word is between Kim and number one. And then he turned around and handed it to me. I don't think he said anything. He didn't need to. But if he had, if he'd even had this combination of words available to him, he would have said, I got you. I still have that little paper tent, a reminder of an extravagant gesture of empathy and kindness. There are many, many studies of generosity that all draw the same conclusions. Generosity is good for us. When we give, our brains release chemicals bringing feelings of peace and joy. Giving lowers our stress levels. It's positively correlated with longevity. People who give by volunteering around four hours a week are 40% less likely to develop high blood pressure. People in Alcoholics Anonymous double their chances of successful recovery when they help others. Givers experience something called 
givers glow. We literally light up. And when we give, we uplift others, inspiring them to give, too. In 1831, the Choctaw people of Oklahoma were the first tribe to be driven from their native land and forcibly marched thousands of miles along the infamous Trail of Tears. 4,000 died. But just 16 years later, in 1847, the Choctaw opened their hearts to donate to others who were in dire straits. Some 4,000 miles away, the Irish people were starving in the potato famine. Between 1845 and 1849, some one million Irish people died of hunger or disease, and another million emigrated then or shortly afterward. The amount the Choctaw gave was extraordinary. $170, which is the equivalent of more than $5,000 in today's money. The Kindred Spirits Choctaw Monument is a beautiful art installation in Middleton, Ireland, commemorating their donation. In 1995, then-president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, visited the Choctaw to thank them. Today, hundreds of Irish people are repaying the Choctaw's ancient kindness donating more than $3.6 million to help supply clean water, food, and health supplies for Native American tribes suffering in the COVID-19 pandemic, especially the Navajo Nation, which has one of the worst coronavirus outbreaks in the United States. The Choctaw ancestors planted that seed a long time ago, says fundraiser Cassandra Begay. It is a dark time for us. The support from Ireland is phenomenal. The Choctaws say, I got you. Lois told us last week that her father taught her the difference between wants and needs, and that she needs Arlington Street. If we didn't know it before, we know it now. After our meeting this week, the Covenant Renewal team sent me some amazing emails and agreed to let me tell you about them. Lois wrote to say she's taking the leap to increase her pledge to 5% of her income. So much is uncertain now, it's a good time to invest in a sure bet. And we're her sure bet. Lois is grateful that she's still working. She's making sure to help cover those who aren't. And then there's something extra the federal government sent out. Our money, to be sure, but not that we expected to see it. Liz wrote, Don and I will be pledging $5,000 this year. Knowing Reverend Beth is matching chems in your pledge was a real push. I sold it to Don by comparing it to golf. We spend about that much on golf each year, and church is way more important to me than golf. Don sent a follow-up email. For clarification's sake, I enjoy spending money on things that bring me joy. I enjoy golf, and I enjoy church. Another member of the team wrote, I'm increasing my pledge by 20%, making Arlington Street 65% of my total annual charitable giving. I happen to know he throws in extra, too. I never cease to be amazed by the generosity of this beloved spiritual community. We give because we cherish what we are creating together. 
We give in alignment with our values. We give to this experience, this opportunity to grow a soul and our shared mission of love, service, justice, and peace. A standard formula among progressive people is to give 5% of our income to our places of worship and to stretch to give more. For each of us, the idea is to give what we can. And let me be very clear. If you can't give, we got you. I want to close by sharing again one of my very favorite stories of generosity. It's from my beloved friend and colleague, Reverend Dr. Patrick T. O'Neill. He writes, as you might guess from my name, I was not born and raised Unitarian Universalist. I grew up in Irish Catholic family, and a lot of what I know about church community I learned by watching the folks who were part of that working class Catholic pa parish where I grew up in New Jersey. This particular story is about a man in our church named Bill. Bill was an immigrant laborer who worked as a longshoreman on the docks of New York. He lived across the street from the church and his wife and seven children. He was a devout churchman. One year, Bill was laid off in an extended strike and he was unable to pay his financial pledge to the church. This was a serious blow to his pride and he knew it was a poor parish that needed all the contributions it could get. As my mother later told the story, Bill went to the pastor and volunteered to contribute his services as the unpaid evening custodian for the church school until he could afford to resume his financial pledge. It's something the church needs, he said, and instead of paying for this service, the church can use the money to do good work. So each evening he worked several hours for no pay, sweeping and mopping the church school classrooms and hallways and staircases. On snowy days in those years before snowblowers, Bill got up early to shovel the church school sidewalks before the children arrived for classes. Unable to contribute financially to his church, he found a working man's way to contribute his fair share. Some months later, the dock strike ended and Bill was once again able to resume his full-time day job and his financial pledge to the church. But he decided, in addition to his pledge, to continue working as the unpaid night custodian of the church, which he did for the next 30 years. I know this story is true, Reverend Dr. O'Neill concludes, because Bill was my father. Beloved spiritual companions, like the guy on the bus, we pledge to pay someone else's fare, to pledge to pay as many fares as possible because there are so many who are struggling. Like Harvey Wheeler, we pledge to uphold the church and the congregation, the physical place we love and everyone who passes through its doors, as well as people everywhere to whom we might show kindness and mercy and generosity of spirit. Like the Choctaw, we remember those who were generous to us. In 1729, a scrappy bunch of Scots-Irish immigrants gathered in a barn and put in some mighty work to begin this congregation. Generations of people have sustained it, creating a beloved spiritual community and a home to which we come home. Today, we pledge to pay it forward. 
Thank you for joining me in giving, joyfully, generously, because if there's anything we've learned during this time we're apart, it's that we come home to one another. I know that you've got me. I got you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.